Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Commitment Matters. Nancy McDonald is our guest today, and we're talking all things title-centric banking and treasury management. I know many of you work with your bank's treasury management team nearly every day, but you might not have much of an idea of what they all do in the broader sense. Well, we have just the expert for you today. Nancy is an executive vice president for Texas Capital Bank, and she's in charge of their treasury management operations. She has an extensive background in treasury management and real estate banking, over 35 years of it, working many years in Chase's treasury services for middle markets, including real estate. Now, at Texas Capital Bank, they also have a team that specifically serves the title and settlement industry with staff dedicated to the unique needs of our business, which Nancy and I talk about quite a bit. So in this episode, Nancy talks about what the treasury management department in a bank does traditionally and what services they've additionally wrapped around those functions to create title-centric banking. We talk about the unique banking needs of folks in our industry. We talk about wire fraud, of course, as well as real-time payments and what to expect in the world of wires and transfers next year when the FedNow system comes online. She talks us through what settlement agents should be looking for and asking about from their bank's treasury management group. We cover a good amount of ground on this one, but it's always good to pull back the curtain of some of those who specialize in servicing our industry and get a better idea of what it is they do. It's just like when a realtor or loan officer wants to come learn what we do. It just helps everyone involved work more smoothly together. So with that in mind, please enjoy this conversation with the definitive and straight shooting Nancy McDonald. Hi, Nancy. Welcome to Commitment Matters. Hey, good morning. Thanks so much for letting me be with you this morning. Well, we're excited to have you here. We have a lot of listeners out in the title and settlement world whose companies interact with treasury management in their organizations, but they might not know a whole lot about what treasury management does. And so we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about your role with Texas Capital Bank. How did you get there? What are you charged with? What's your mission? Great. Well, thank you for letting me explain a little bit about what treasury management is. I find that a lot of people know what banking is and they have their own personal banking experience. But corporate treasury management is that beast that's unknown, if you will. So a little bit about what is corporate treasury management. So if you think about how a company operates, operates. You think about the day-to-day making payments, receiving money, understanding how much came in, understanding what needs to go out, and getting all that information tied up in, with a neat little bow. That's really what treasury management is. It's money in, it's money out, it's understanding what you have and what's come into you, and also making payments and getting your receipts and being able to actually tie them back to your transaction because nobody simply moves money just to move money. It's really about the business of understanding who's paid you, who have you paid, how much money has come in, and again, how much money has gone out, and understanding how does that connect with whatever ERP or financial system that you use. So corporate treasury management also has another primary responsibility within a banking organization, and that is really, if you think about lending, 
that money comes in from somewhere. To make a loan, you have to have money to lend. So corporate treasury management or treasury management also is a great funding vehicle for the financial institution where it operates. So a lot of banks run large retail presence, have a lot of branches, people make deposits, that provides funding. But there's a whole other world out there called corporate treasury. And that is where companies such as the one I work for And what I do is really help corporates run money, and those deposits actually help fund the loans that we make to our clients, both retail and institutional and corporate. So we do two things. We help our clients on a day-to-day basis, and we also help fund the organization or fund the institution where we are at Texas Capital Bank. I think your other question of me was, Mary, how did you get here? Because no one grows up and gets out of college and says, what I want to (laughs) is I'm going to run corporate treasury management at a firm. And that's certainly the case with me. I did come up from a banking family. My brother and my father both were bankers. I started in a very traditional manner right out of college with a finance degree, went into a structured banking program. And did that for a number of years. I was spent 34 plus years at a large financial institution. More than half of that was spent lending money. But then I was fortunate enough in the last part of my career to get into the treasury and technology part of that organization and really start to understand that it's all great to make loans and it's great to be providing capital to institutions. But somewhere along the line, you have to get the raw material for that lending. And that's really when I started to understand that helping banks and helping clients manage their cash was an extremely important but lesser known part of the banking world. So I spent a lot of time at that institution learning risk, learning a lot of things, but really understanding treasury and technology probably happened in the last third of my career at that other institution. I did have an opportunity to actually retire from J.P. Morgan in August of 2020 and literally was three months into retirement when I got a call from Rob Holmes, who's our CEO here at Texas Capital Bank. And Rob and I had the opportunity to work together for a number of years, probably 30. And Rob was coming to Texas Capital Bank to really help this institution reclaim what I think was its rightful place, which is really a wholesale corporate financial institution headquartered in Texas, really focused against corporates in the state of Texas and really across the U.S. And so when Rob came up with this opportunity for me to come and build a treasury organization, it was just very, very exciting and very much something that I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to take those 30 plus years of experience that I've had and really deploy all of that to build a state-of-the-art treasury platform. Because one thing that I'm very clear on is that technology is what drives corporate treasury management. So if you go back to pre-2007, which is the invention of the iPhone, before that, people didn't think about making payments on their phone. They didn't think about doing a lot of banking on their phones. But that whole world and environment changed for us with the invention of the smartphone. And then you throw 2008, 2009, and 10 in there, and you see a huge influx of money coming into the payments world. Banks were obviously dealing with a massive financial crisis, but there was a tremendous amount of money flowing into financial technology, now known as fintechs. So if you think about what happened during that period of time, that to me was really the beginning of so much of what we do now in treasury management. 
making technology work for us and work for our clients so they can operate their business more efficiently. That's been a very long-winded answer, Mary, by the way. That's a great (laughs) answer, but I have some follow-up questions if that's okay. I love that answer. Absolutely. Well, so several of our listeners are customers of Texas Capital Bank, but- Thank you. We have customers, though, all over the country who may not be as familiar. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about what the bank's larger strategy is, and you said help put it towards its rightful place. So what is that long-term vision? So Texas Capital Bank, really a long-term Texas institution. We were founded 24 years ago as the largest new startup bank in the U.S. at that time. We are a publicly held company. We trade on the NASDAQ. We're one of the largest independent banks in the state of Texas, and we're about $32 billion. Our officers are certainly in Texas, but we really serve clients across the United States. We specialize in clients that have complex uh, loan needs and high-touch depository needs. Title is certainly a business where we've had a long-term focus. We have a dedicated group specifically that handles our title business. So if you think about Texas Capital Bank, there's two things that I would tell you that we've done since we've begun in January of 2021 with a new management team to come in here and really focus on what the institution should be. So we were founded as a corporate bank doing business in Texas, helping those Texas organizations and those across the country who were uh, looking to deploy capital and have a reasonable return on that. So we were as I said, a corporate bank. So when I got here, along with the new management team, there were really three strategies that we had. Texas Capital Bank needed to be relevant to its client every day. So as I say often, not every day does a client need to borrow money. Not every day does a client sell itself or buy its largest competitor. But I can tell you every day, a client does want to know how much money do they have? How do they deploy it? How do they safeguard it? Because fraud is an extremely important issue that takes a lot of time these days. And so when I came in, again, with our management team, the focus was to make sure that we had the best technology possible to help our clients run their day-to-day cash needs. So what that looked like is taking this organization and spending quite a bit of money to deploy new operating system. And we're in the last stages of deploying that. That will give us all the capabilities to help our clients move money, not only quickly, but also on the new payment rail. So Traditionally, banks have used wire transfer through the Fed. Then there was the ACH system. But now there are other payment types. Real-time payments, which runs on a financial rail outside the Federal Reserve, a very, very useful type of payment. And that's something we're offering to our clients and expanding that usage right now. I think that as the payment types continue to grow, Texas Capital Bank wants to be there to not only offer that service, but to provide it to our clients in a safe and sound manner. So we are focused against upgrading technologies, using new technologies. I think if you think about what the way money was moved and the way clients communicated with their bank, you think about the old file-to-file transfer type of updates and technology, and really clients are moving and will continue to move to what we call APIs or application programming interfaces. That is the way that we want to connect with our clients going forward. But 
everyone will tell you that's the ideal state or an ideal state, but I can tell you where we really focus is meeting the clients where they are today. Many clients, as you know, still use checks. The United States is the last bastion of check writing across the globe. If you go anywhere else in the world, you will not find the number of checks that are written um, in the United States anywhere else. We still use a lot of paper checks, so we obviously provide that service. We still use ACH, and that's a, that's a great way to make payments and receive payments as well. But the next generation of that payment, which is really real-time payment or account-to-account, account, is what's already happening in Europe. We already see this happening in Asia and so as we think about how do we stay relevant to our clients day to day, we're going to embrace those new technologies, invest those dollars in that technology to provide that service and provide it with the greatest level of safety and security that we can. Because every time you think about making a payment or receiving a payment, you have to understand that there are a myriad of bad actors out there looking to take over your account divert your money, get access to your information. And so everything we do really depends as the underlying premise has to be, how do we do this safely and securely? You are preaching to the choir with this audience <laughs> because we live and breathe the quick movement of vast sums of money each day. The wire fraud, we feel like we're kind of on the front lines of because our wires, especially for sales proceeds, but not exclusively, tend to be very large. So we sit in the fulcrum point with that. So we're very happy to hear that we have some allies. One question I wanted to ask, though, for those that aren't familiar, I mean, we certainly are familiar with our wires and we're certainly familiar with our plethora of checks still, but we have, might have some people in the audience who aren't as familiar with real-time payments and most especially what the advantage of using those over using the Fed wire system. What's the difference between those two and how can the real-time payments be more beneficial? Well, real-time payments runs on a network, the clearinghouse, which is a network that is owned by a group of banks, the larger banks in the United States. So the clearinghouse operates this payment network called the clearinghouse. Again, never trust a bank to use the most marketing <laughs> prowess to name something, but what it really was is a response to the world has changed from an overnight or a batch process world to a real-time world. If you think about you as a consumer, if you want to shop, if you want to send money to someone, you don't do that Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. The world works on a 24-7 schedule. And so the banking industry had to address that, and they addressed it first on the consumer side. If you think about corporate Zelle or Zelle for consumers, that is a 24-7, 365 type of payment rail, but it's really for consumers. So if you think about, and that was a response to, again, going back to the fintechs, if you think about PayPal and its little brother called Venmo, that was a response to the need for 24-7, 365 types of payments, but that's all really consumer-centric. So for once, the consumer world is really driving what's going on with the corporate world because you as a practitioner or a financial professional in the title organization, you already know what you can do as a consumer off of your phone, but you were not able to replicate that as a corporate or as a title company professional. So real-time payments 
is irrevocable payment, similar to a wire. It does work 24-7, 365. It does provide payment finality, so that's very important. But it is not run within the Fed network. Now, the Federal Reserve System is responding to that with an offering they're coming out with, I believe, in 2023. Again, been discussed for a number of years called FedNow, which will be a similar type of payment to real-time payments in the fact that it will run not just Monday through Friday during Fed hours. So real-time payments is the corporate response or the corporate sibling, you will, of Zelle and peer-to-peer payments. So a PayPal, a Venmo, a Zelle, those are all peer-to-peer individual payments. This is the corporate response to that. As you know, closings don't always happen, you know, Monday through Friday between 8 and 5 p.m., correct? No, they're not cooperative that way. They're not cooperative that way. So you want to think about how can we meet the client's need where they are. And so this is really a new payment type. If you think about new payment types, we've had checks for a long time. We've certainly had wires. NACHA, the clearing, uh, the National Association of Clearinghouse, or ACH has finally updated their payments and developed same-day ACH. So ACH is for the longest time, for 40 years, were nothing more than batch overnight, two-day payments. Now you can have same-day ACH. So real-time payments is really that next step, larger dollar amounts, more corporate in nature, and again, looking to provide that 24-7 payment rail that businesses need because no one these days can work just Monday through Friday, eight to five. But the Federal Reserve is coming out with their own version of this called FedNow. Okay. Well, and I wanted to circle back for just a second because I don't think a lot of people realize that Zelle was created by the banks and it's the bank to bank. That's sort of the banking sector's answer. And same with the clearinghouse. (laughs) Now, and there are third party products like the PayPal and Venmo and all that. And there's Cash App and there's other things. But if you think about those instruments, they do ultimately, because the banks still own payment finality, to affect payment finality, you do have to have a financial institution. So those transactions are ultimately going through a bank. So Zelle is bank to bank or peer to peer. And that is the difference between that and a PayPal type payment or a Venmo type payment. Okay. So you've kind of shown us how we will no longer be prisoners to the Fed's wire cutoff time. But do methods like this help reduce fraud too, or can they? Well, I think that anytime you make a payment, it is incredibly important incumbent on you to know and prepare for the payment ahead of time, right? To establish what is the method of transmission, how do you make sure that you know who you're sending that money to, how they'll receive it, what is the confirmation type uh, that you'll receive back. So I would tell you that I think that the more preparation done before the payment, the less pain after the payment. So again, is anything 100% locked down and unable to be hacked into? I would not say that because as soon as I did, there something would happen. I think that if you look at how things are structured and you as a user as a title company, you absolutely have to take the time to understand how are you sending the payments? 
How is that information being generated? Do you have multi-factor authentication? Are you taking those steps to provide the most information from the paying bank to the receiving entity to make sure that everyone understands what should be coming and taking that opportunity to button it down, if you will. There's nothing like preparation and sticking with your protocol. What happens most, I find, is when something goes awry, it's because it's a last minute. In fact, if you're a bad actor, the first thing you try to do is suggest a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. This is not, uh, this is something that's just come up lately. I know this isn't standard, but you need to act immediately and really giving the fear factor, if you will, that if you don't act immediately as instructed, that something there'll be a bad outcome. Right. That is almost always a key to understanding that someone's trying to uh, get between you and your money. That activity of creating immediacy this is outside the norm. We typically don't do it this way. I know that, but you've got to take this action. Should all be very much red flags about don't send that payment. It's never, I've never known a CFO or a CEO who ever said, don't call me if you think it's fraudulent, just make your best judgment. (laughs) Far better to make that phone call, double check that payment, because when you're sending a wire, as you know, That is payment finality. We call it real-time gross settlement. Once it's gone, it's gone. And you are totally dependent on the receiver of those funds to return them. And often if a bad actor has that money in their account, they will immediately move it. And, you know, they will move it offshore or they will move it to another institution to move it along the process where you can't trace it. And again, just to back to your question, there's nothing that beats preparation and understanding that to offset, you know, and try to deal and combat fraud and payments going to the wrong people. Obviously, we have a very changing real estate market. Interest rates are doing what they're doing. The economy is doing whatever it's doing generally on any given half a day. Right. A little, a lot to keep up with right now, but When it comes to sort of their treasury solutions and their treasury management partnership with their bank, what kinds of things should people understand or ask? And what kind of conversations are you having with people, with your clients right now? I think one of the most important things that you can do when you're establishing a financial institutions or a banking relationship is understand, do they understand my business? Do they deal with companies similar to me? When I think about the title business, if you're dealing with a bank that doesn't have a specific title group, you should think through that because you want someone who understands that you are in a customer service business. That is the business that you are providing. Yes, you're doing a tremendous amount of due diligence prior to, but ultimately you're providing a service to someone who's trying to close a real estate transaction. And so if you know your business and you have detailed knowledge, whether it's commercial or residential, you want your financial institution to have the same. So you want to deal with an institution that understands, you know, Title companies have extremely busy afternoons, right? You may be closing all day, but in the afternoon, you are going to be extremely up against time deadlines. And that's why you want to deal with a financial institution that says, I have a dedicated group 
someone who doesn't get on the phone or get on a plane after 2.30 or 3 p.m. Because if something's going to go wrong Mm -hmm. in the morning, you have some time, if you will, before things cut off. But what you do not want to do is deal with someone who says, let me call you back tomorrow. No. You need someone who understands that during closings and when real estate is changing hands, again, commercial or residential, you want a bank that segments that into a special group who have people in it who understand that they do not travel between the hours of 3 and and 6 p.m. They do not schedule phone calls or calls during that time because if a client's going to have an issue, you can bet it's going to be five minutes before the Fedwire closes, right? It's crunch time. Yeah, crunch time. So that's the first thing you want to understand. The second thing I think you want to understand that they are aligned with you from a customer service standpoint. Banks are providing a service. Moving money is not a new product, right? It's just not. But the client has to feel that we are in this together, that we are both here to make the title company successful, that the client experience delivered by you, you could have done everything right. But if your banking partner doesn't have that same sense of urgency, all your work and maybe years of a relationship just washed out because your bank didn't return the phone call. They didn't figure out what was going on. They didn't understand why the wire got held up. And again, I'm I'm talking about wires, but this this applies to any type of payment, right? And if it's a multiple party closing, are they tracking it? Are they prepared to go in and find, you know, where it possibly could be held up? Is it an OFAC matter? Is it not an OFAC matter? Is it a matter of funds crossing in the night, as we say? So if you're dealing with an institution that doesn't say, I have a segregated and segmented title group, that's not okay when dealing with time-sensitive closing issues such as occur Monday through Friday with title businesses and having the ability to respond quickly when someone's looking for that Fed reference number or that payment instruction. I would say those are probably two of the biggest things that you want to look at. Do they specialize in this business and are they dedicated to providing the same level of client service and client experience that I am? I'm putting my relationship with a broker or a realtor on the line for this. Does my bank have the same feeling and do they have the same level of uh, commitment to providing that kind of service? Because again, relationships can wash out over one transaction. Oh, they sure can. And on the other side of that example, when you do have someone who understands your business, knows what's critical, and is dedicated and focused on that, I know you guys have had some success stories about helping some of your title clients get their money back when it was hit with fraud. And you're not required to do that, but you have done that. I'm sure our listeners would like to hear a little bit about that. Their ears just perked up if they weren't already. So speaking about that, again, this goes back to understanding who your clients are and how do they work. So when there are bad actors, 100%, there are bad actors out there looking to get your money and there is no currency more valuable than dollars. And this business all settles in dollars. So when that happens, having a dedicated fraud, fraud prevention group and a fraud investigations group. So there's fraud prevention. That's great. That's having mm-hmm. all the checks and balance, multi-factor authentication, all those types of things. But still things can and will go awry. Does that institution have a fraud investigations unit that knows how to get to other correspondent banks to check in and to have those established relationships to get that money back? 
back. And you're right. We've been very fortunate. I would never, you know, I'm going to knock wood and everything. The success rate is very high because we have dedicated financial professionals who deal with fraud and fraud investigations and know the procedures. They know the habits, they know the patterns, and they know exactly who to call. And nowhere in banking is time more of the essence than understanding when something's gone wrong. No problem ages well, but I can assure you the one that ages the least well is when money is moving. Money can fly around the globe very quickly. I'm extremely proud to work with this group of individuals here at Texas Capital Bank who know how to get that money back, sometimes when it's been gone for days. But it is someone who has an understanding of the fact pattern, who understands that you have to ask the right questions to the right people at the right time. But for all your listeners, I would say, don't ever let it age if you have a missing payment. As painful as that might be to go and talk to your boss or the owner or whatever, that we have a payment gone awry, everyone should be notifying the financial institutions as quickly. And when I say quickly, I mean money moves in a matter of seconds. So remember that. And if it's don't let it age and certainly don't let it age over 24 hours, that never works out in the vast majority of time. The most dangerous time I've always said in a bank is Thursday afternoons in the wire room, because that's when a payment leaves the United States, heads somewhere offshore, and by the time we have woken up the next day to find out that it's gone awry, that institution on the other side of the world has already closed out for the weekend, and boom, your money is gone. So please make sure all the professionals out there don't let money movement issues age at all. The quicker, the better, the better your capture rate of getting your money returned. Well, and that's part of why title settlement agents especially are such targets. It's not only because of the big sums of money we have moving around, but because of that, most closings tend to happen on Thursdays and Fridays. So that window you mentioned that Thursday afternoon, because everybody wants to move over the weekend. So that just puts us even further in the crosshairs of fraud risk. Exactly. And that's why I I mentioned Thursday afternoons. People are like, what do you got against Thursday? I have nothing against Thursday. I have everything against the bad actors out there who understand exactly how banks work and understand exactly how to get money offshore. And again, have really mastered a lot of nefarious activities to make sure that they separate you from your money. And you're right. Everyone's anxious on Thursday and Friday to get in over the weekend. Because it's a great time. 99% of times, I would suggest that people closing on a real estate transaction are very happy to be getting that property or that home. And so let's just go ahead and move it. Oh, we don't quite have the name right. Well, let's just go ahead and send the money. No, it is worth the extra five minutes to get it right exactly. Again, you're dealing with large sums of cash or with money. And so you want to make sure, and I, that's, I would say that to everyone listening to this podcast, pre-plan as much as possible. Make sure things are spelled correctly. We are dealing with systems in banks that are sometimes very antiquated. And even if they're not, you're dealing with lists and OFAC lists, et cetera, that can be very confusing. So take that extra five minutes to make sure you have the details right. I think most 
title companies who do a great job know this from the very essence. That's what you're there for, to get it right, whether it's the chain of holding the properties or it's the execution of the payment. Well, and I'm sure a lot of people are feeling very validated right now listening to you as <laughs> they talk about, because I'll bet if you get anxious on a normal Thursday, you get even more anxious about Thursday afternoon before a three-day weekend, which by the way, is when we do the most closings. Absolutely. And so then we have that holiday extends over into the Monday. And so I imagine people are relieved to hear you get it, but also are reminded that's when we have to be extra vigilant. And that's when, ironically, based on our volume, it is harder to be extra vigilant. You're in a customer service business as am I. So the desire to please and execute that customer's transaction is 120% of why you're in business and why you do that. It's the same for us. We want to say, yes, that wire's gone. Here's your Fed reference number. And that's a great feeling, but no amount of delivering that Fed reference number will make up for getting it wrong. That's right. So this is why, again, when we think about our own title group, Thursday afternoons, during the, during the lunch hours, often things happen there during Fridays. People have to be available, and it has to be a human voice on the other end of the phone. Amen. There is nothing wrong with technology. I'm a high believer in it. But when you have an issue, it is a person on the other end talking to you. Let me call this person. Let me call my colleague. Let me name those names. That's the sense of security and partnership, I think, that all of your listeners really should look for in their banks is Again, not being gone on Thursday afternoons and three-day weekends are notorious. The only thing worse is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. Because so, so many people will be out that Friday and you can't, you don't have that chance to get that money back. Yeah. So this is why we invest in technology. But as much as you invest in technology in this business, you have to invest in expertise and financial professionals who understand the clearing patterns, the fraud patterns, and have the infrastructure and support the infrastructure that is fraud, fraud detection, all those things that recognize patterns in emails, patterns in phone calls, and artificial intelligence, which is extremely, I don't know how people feel about that, but I'm telling you, it can really help Mm -hmm. identify patterns that are out of the ordinary and out of the norm and help preserve the integrity of a payment. Yeah. Think about it. Customer service, number one. So you want to be quick. You want to be fast. You don't want to ask the client for extra pieces of information if you don't have to. And I recognize that, but taking that extra five minutes, and I know I've said that three times, but (laughs) as someone who has spent a lot of time tracking money down outside that's gone awry, it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Amen. Well, you're talking about some title-centric banking practices. So what are some of the recent enhancements that you guys have accomplished for title agents? There are many industries that we have very specific banking and treasury officers for. Title is certainly one of them. And so what we are doing is putting bankers 
and treasury officers who are very much dedicated to certain segments of the industry so they can keep up with whatever the laws are, what, what's changing in that perspective, what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, how do you speak about the next level of technology, very specific to a healthcare client when there's so much personal healthcare information and all of the things that go along with that. How do you speak to that if you don't spend every day doing it? We are investing substantial sums of money to have a brand new money movement system that will allow us to take in many, many file types and execute payments and meet our clients where they are. We still have clients that ride checks and we understand that. Now we're going to have you three things I'd ask you to do on that. First of all, let me print the check, let me do the positive pay, and let me mail that check. And then on ACH, how do you think about protecting an ACH? You do ACH blocks. You do payee name verification on ACH, just like you do checks. And then with wires, again, everything that I've said, multi-factor authentication. I realize that a lot of times you don't want to have to get to your phone and get that six-digit code or whatever you've set up. But would you rather take that extra 30 seconds, get your phone, get that six-digit code, and know where you're sending the money? Or would you rather shave that off? So we're investing in technology. We're investing a lot in training. Awareness and training is probably one of the biggest deterrents for fraud. If you haven't invested in a basic online class about fraud prevention, business email compromise, the typical how accounts are taken over, commercial card, credit card takeovers, please do that. Everyone said, well, we do it once a year. Really? They're working on it 24-7, 365. They have to be right one time. You have to be right every day. Every day. So I would suggest a semi-annual training or awareness, and it needs to start at the very top. The CEO has to make it known that it's okay if you call me to prevent a fraudulent payment coming out, right? So it's often they attack the CEO's email or the CFO's email or the chief operating officer or the head of the office. Why would you go in and attack an email that isn't in a position of power? So make sure that those individuals who do sit in those positions of power, CEO, CFO, head of the office, that he or she makes it well known that it's okay for you to question me if you see something that doesn't look like my style, my typical communication with you, and it has to do with money movement. That has to be known and it has to start at the top that that's okay. You know, Nancy, you're not going to lose your job because you questioned. You've never seen this type of email from the CFO or the CEO. It's okay. In fact, I want you to do that. So let's all save ourselves money and client experience by doing. I've never had a CEO tell me, I no, I'm too busy to take a call, but I'd rather lose that $450,000. So <laughs> right. it has to start at the top. Yes. There's so much that a bank wire room can do. My sister-in-law had a closing and she wanted to wire her proceeds or her down payment money into the title company. She got the wiring instructions from the title company. She herself called and confirmed with their bank because she knows somebody that's very into wire fraud and knows it's a big problem in real estate. But then miraculously, her bank's wire department, when she did authorize her wire to go to the title company, before her bank sent that 
because it was a large wire to the title company, they picked up the phone and called the title company and verified the routing information. Miracle of miracles. That is, no, that's exactly the partnership you're looking for there, right? Because it's a large amount of money. You want to deal with people who understand the criticality of, of the payment, of getting it right. And this is where a lot of clients that I've worked with said, Nancy, please don't call back and do a verification. We simply are moving too quickly for that. And I do appreciate the time sensitive nature and people getting phone calls, but you do need to figure out some way to provide that multi-factor authentication, right? There's a lot of different ways to do that. Whether it's a text, as as you probably dealt with on your personal banking, just log in from a computer you've never used before. If that IP address never matches anything you've used before, you're probably gonna get a call or a text or something that says, hey, Nancy, is this you? We've never seen you come in from this IP address. Because again, think about this. Fraudsters, bad actors have to be right just once. Mm -hmm. You need to be right every day to protect you and your clients' money and assets and reputation. So a lot of people think about financial loss, but what about reputational risk? Mm -hmm. I think we think about that as much, certainly the financial risk, but reputational risk to a closer, to someone doing a transaction who isn't able to provide the level of service, maybe the transaction doesn't close because someone's not sitting at their desk or there's not someone to escalate to. So reputational risk is as important often as financial risk. I know that people are going to say, well, you're losing money versus someone talks badly about you. Well, Mm -hmm. I would tell you in a service business, like title business, And having that reputation, it's everything. Do you want that next referral? Do you want that next agent or broker to say, you've got to use these people because they care? Yeah, it's worth everything. So reputational risk as well as financial risk. Well, listen, in our industry, which is not obscure to you, but can be rather obscure in the real world, we get giddy when anybody can say what we do in a sentence. So we're we're already giddy that you understand that, but it's so great that you are focusing some services on the unique needs of the title and settlement industry. We are a rich and robust industry that moves so much of other people's money every day. And I always stress the other people's money because that's a huge deal. And we're always trying to fight the fraud. We're always trying to not have so many constraints when it comes to our service piece of business. But so many times in our banking relationships, we have constraints that, that just don't help us keep that better service posture. So it sounds like you're building a lot with us in mind. And I'm grateful that you came to talk to us about it today. Thank you, Nancy, for that great insight. I know you helped our listeners think about how to manage their relationships better. Now, if you'd like to reach Nancy or her team, we of course have emails linked in today's show notes and feel free to reach out to them. You know, when we talk about combating fraud, we always say it's the little things that can matter most. And I think the same is true for our professional relationships. Just that little bit of extra understanding of the pressures you face of your realities on the ground can lend you just enough of a hand to help you make all the difference in the world. So we'll keep talking with guests who can help you make a difference. And we'll keep asking the questions and helping you understand the ways our business is changing and the ways it's staying the same. We'll keep having the conversations that help you do what you do because what you do really matters.